This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. These are your tight end rankings for the 2023 season. It's mid-May, but we know you. Yes, you. You're an underdog fantasy, the home of best ball. You're drafting dynasty teams. Heck, even thinking about your redraft league. Let's start with tight end, Hayden. And let's start with this statement. It's a weird position in fantasy football. You know, we love to get player takes, and we definitely are with this group of 22 players who are about the tier list. Um, but there are specific strategies that need to be discussed at tight end when drafting at least through 18 rounds or depending on the format. Take it from the top for the people. Uh, what should they be thinking about when selecting and drafting tight ends to their fantasy teams? This position's the most volatile, and I think it's also probably the most difficult to predict because I think people chase the wrong types of tight ends and small samples, but basically it's they run hotter on touchdowns versus yards and receptions compared to the other positions. So I like to kind of punt this position off. It scores also the fewest amount of points in best ball drafts and all ping pong weeks. If I draft three tight end twos, one scores a touchdown. The other twos don't I'll use that in redraft. You actually have to pick that. So actually in redraft, I do still like drafting the elite tight ends because I'll just plug those guys in. They'll score more points on average, but in best ball, we can play this game of ping ponging weeks. And I ran a, a little quick study on the spike weeks um, in the top seven tight ends in current ADP. They've accounted for 53% of these spike weeks over the last two seasons. Compare that to the top seven quarterbacks that goes up to from 53% to 69%. Same thing with running backs, wide receivers. It's up. So I think that you can find some replacement value from here, but you have to find the right types of tight ends. And I think that people are kind of, looking at some small samples and trying to extrapolating from there when right. I just want the guys that are going to be on the field, usually the heavier guys, kind of a similar conversation to kind of the running backs. And speaking of running backs, touchdowns are very, very important for tight ends. Um, just going through and doing research for this episode, we can kind of call Taysom Hill a tight end. I mean, he was certainly listed one in a lot of fancy platforms. He only uh, caught nine passes last year, but also had nine touchdowns on top of that. And what was the tight end? Like six, six or seven in points per game. Again, he had rushing yards, carries, all that type of stuff. But it really speaks to me just to how touchdown dependent the position is and how just pure volume can't really help you out in that department when one touchdown kind of swings mm -hmm. rankings week to week if you're a top 12 scorer, if you're not. And as you said, like especially for best ball, which we are focusing on, I know all of you again are playing on underdog fantasy. There's this approach of, hey, go super early on one heck even like the sixth overall pick on Travis Kelsey or maybe you want to Dr. Frankenstein approach it where you draft one let's just say theoretically in round 12 and then rounds like 15 and 18 and there's there's your trio um and then there's all these names that we're going to get to about 10 or 11 of them that's kind of in between that grouping as well that certainly opportunities and scenarios and environments and player takes are important but it, it makes me wonder how viable they are in any strategy. Yes, I completely agree. And another part of this is just correlation. If you've drafted the quarterback, I'd like to throw on the tight ends after that. And so a lot of the tight ends do go after their quarterbacks. That's another reason why I'm on the late round tight end. Before we get into the player takes real quick, and you can fast forward this if you guys aren't nerds. But <laughs> uh, here's the stats that I'm actually looking at. Yards per game, that is correlated to next year's fantasy points. I got 67.67. Uh, that's pretty dang good. That's the actual key metric I'm going to be kind of 
as my like flagpole is just y- last year's yards per, per game. Sounds crazy, right? And then the next one is routes per game. If you're not on the field, it's hard to get fantasy points. Beyond that, y- yards per route run and then PFF grade kind of tells me if you're good or not. I can actually watch the tape as well. And then you get into like, are you going to be blocking when you're on the field or are you actually running routes? And there's different types of archetypes of players that fit that. And then the, the really important one I think goes really underlooked is what type of player are you in one tight end sets and then two tight end sets. And here's just a couple of thresholds that I like to look at. The tight end ones uh, in fantasy typically run a route on 67% of mm. their one tight end uh, team snaps. So if there's one tight end on the field, 67% of the time, they better be running route. When there's two tight ends on the field, they need to run around at, at least 60%. And then the elite tight end, they're like 75, 80%. So there's going to be some players that we're going to talk about, like Chica Kwanku, for example, who last year were only running around like on 20% of right. their one tight end set uh, snaps because they can't block well or w- some other reasons. So like those are like the things just get on the field and then kind of let touchdown variants take over. And that's what I'm going to be focusing uh, in this episode. And we almost will try to predict who can potentially hit that elite category as well, because then that is also a true difference maker. If we've talked about a quarterback and hopefully you tune into that video, that if you had one of the elite names that you set you apart at the start of each week, obviously mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey's done that, the tight end position. But if like there's one that can't reach his status, but is a clear second, then that can kind of do the exact same thing. All right, let's get into it. We're going to rank 22 of the tight ends ahead of the 2023 season. And tier list them. And I'm going to say it, Hayden. There's only one name in the in the A tier. I should say in the S tier. And that is uh, Travis Kelsey. I mean, he led the NFL with 30 red zone receptions last season. 10 red zone touchdowns. Just to put it all into context. Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey scored 90 more fantasy points than the next best tight end, TJ Hawkinson. That is the biggest gap between the number one tight end and number two tight ends in the last 31 years. He dominated everybody. It was the second most fantasy points out of the position uh, of all time. And it's it just really a debate with Travis Kelsey. Would you rather have him or Cooper Cup? Would you rather have him or Austin Eckler? And right now, I'm leaning away from Travis Kelsey. Nothing against Travis Kelsey, but it's just he's 34 years old. And I like to play the, the Dr. Frankenstein at the tight end position. But I still have him ranked inside the top 15. No questions about that. He's going to be dominant when he's out there. Will he repeat last year's numbers? It'll be very hard to do. Um, but damn it, has he been very impressive? Just put this in the context again. He's, I believe, the fourth all time in fantasy points scored at the position, <laughs> but he's played 92 fewer games than Antonio Gates, which shocked me when I read that. 127 fewer than Jason Witten, who's second all time, and then 126 fewer than Tony Gonzalez. I mean, we're already on the wrong side of. 30 here with Travis Kelsey, but it's again, shocking to me. He's played almost a hundred fewer games than all three of those legends mm-hmm. at the position. And I do want to add that last year, the chiefs, as we all watched, changed their offense in ways and used multiple personnel groupings. And kind of when we talk about with tight end, sometimes when there's two on the field or three on the field, we get a bit nervous about like the, the pillar piece, the, the one tight end, right. And because opportunities can be spread around. It doesn't matter in his case, like, Everything else can change around him. The A dot can go down. And we know that Travis Kelsey, who also barely misses any time due to injury, uh, is, is going to be the focal point of everything that she's built around offensively. There's basically three tight ends. I can argue that their team views them as like an X wide receiver. Travis Kelsey is one. Mark Andrews is the next. And then eventually Kyle Pitts possibly could get into that tier. But until then, I think there's only one tight end in the entire league that could match what Travis Kelsey can put out at his peak value. And that, that'll probably be our next guy. All right. Again, I ranked these top 26 names. Hayden did the exact same thing. We put these together and these are the rankings. So for us, it's the name you just mentioned. And one tier down, it is Mark Andrews. Um, not a great season for Mark Andrews last year. If we can be honest, despite, you know, being one of the, let's say top scorers at the position, he finished outside of the top 10 at tight end in nine of the 16 games he was active last year. Um, this is where the, I think Mark Andrews conversation is fascinating Hayden, because we know how extraordinary 2021 was, but now we kind of have three seasons where he's not like a true, true difference maker versus where he has was drafted ahead of last year. So what, what are your signals? What are you feeling ahead of 2023 for Mark Andrews? Of the elite tight ends, I have the most interest 
in him because I think that he has massive upside. He only blocks on 1% of the passing down snaps over there, which is absurd. He only plays in the inline spot where you're going to be more likely to block on 14% of his snaps. And when they're in two tight end sets, he runs around on 90% of those dropbacks. So, I mean, he's like by, by himself when it comes to just how he's being used, he's being viewed as a slot wide receiver or an X wide receiver, depending on the formation. And this year, Todd Monken is going to hypothetically pass way more than Greg Roman, the, the old offensive coordinator did as well. So yes, there is more target competition, but I think that's actually just going to help the Ravens get down to the red area more and I don't think that Zay Flowers is necessarily going to be a big red zone threat. Same thing with Odell Beckham. I do think Mark Andrews could dominate down there. I just think the Ravens have a chance to be one of the best offenses in the league. And Mark Andrews goes two or three rounds after Travis Kelsey. And I think that they have the same paths to upside. Just Travis Kelsey's done it, obviously, for more seasons in a row. Yeah, currently on underdog, Travis Kelsey is the sixth overall pick. Mark Andrews is the 32nd overall pick. And Andrews is kind of in a grouping of his own, whereas the rest of these Titans we're about to talk about are kind of stacked together. And I think Mark Andrews is going to end up being a early third round pick just because of week 17 correlation. They're playing the Dolphins. The Dolphins get drafted by teams in the first, second, third, fourth overall pick. That's where Lamar Jackson's going. So I think eventually you're going to have to spend a second and third round pick to get this stack. But in the meantime, if you can get lucky, try to get the Ravens in rounds three and four. And if not, I'm totally fine just drafting Mark Andrews and even without Lamar Jackson. In that awesome 2021 season where he had 1,300 receiving yards, uh, he did have nine touchdowns. Last year, despite playing 15 games, and a number of those obviously were not with Lamar Jackson, just five touchdowns scored. You mentioned the offensive coordinator change between Greg Roman and uh, Todd Monken. The Ravens were 30th in red zone touchdown rate last season. Like if we just get a 10% point boost, could even be better than that with the weapons and obviously Greg Roman coming in, or excuse me, Greg Roman exiting and Todd Monken coming in. Um, that would be massive news for Mark Andrews and the uh, bull case for him. Okay, next up for us, it's uh, TJ Hawkinson. Tale of two halves of the season for TJ Hawkinson last year. Yeah, he... He has a path to kind of get in this mix. I just don't think it's as clean as the others because he blocks just more than the other elite tight ends do. Uh, 48% of his snaps are in the inline spot. Uh, he blocks on 10% of his team's passing down. So a lot of things have to go right for TJ Hawkinson to truly get into this elite tight end one tier. I think he's probably destined for like mid tight end one stats just because he's not like uh, viewed as the same type of route runner as someone like Mark Andrews or Kyle Pitts or Dallas Goddard. I think that he's one tier beneath that. Uh, and the Vikings offense is good. It's not like absolutely earth shattering either. So I think he goes a little bit too early for me. Um, and I'm not going out of my way to get Kirk Cousins stacks either. So it's just kind of fine to me. He's going to be a top six tight end, but like, is he, do you think he has a chance to have like one of those Mark Andrews seasons? I don't really see it. No, I, I think he's being drafted at a reasonable spot as the third tight end right now, based on how often the Vikings throw the ball, who Kevin O'Connell is as a play caller, and we don't expect him to change. I mean, they threw the third most passes on average per game last season. And so you're getting that at 47th overall, which is just seven spots ahead of the next tight end on the board. Um, and like, it can be difficult to, a single season for tight end can kind of be a small sample, but then for TJ Hawkinson, it's even smaller than that. But with the Minnesota Vikings, he finished as a top 12 scoring tight end in seven of the 10 games he played with them, you know, 60 receptions in those 10 games. But like, again, I think the root of your question is, does he have that pure individual talent and maybe quarterback he's attached to and incredible offense that he can like transcend the position and be a weekly game changer for you? No, but I think we definitely can rely on consistency when drafting TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, he's definitely consistent. I will say though, it's just the consistent tight end ones that get drafted in this range. It's just hard for them to like beat the consistent wide receivers in this range, just because the wide receivers just score way more fantasy points, especially in half PPR. Yeah. And I'll, I'll look up those wide receivers right now. Again, he's going as the 47th overall pick. Some wide receivers going around that it's Deandre Hopkins. It's Mike Williams. It's Jerry Judy. It's Drake London. It's Keenan Allen. It's Terry McLaurin. Yeah. Um, we're talking much more process in this tier list than other ones, but I think already at tight end three, you can get to, if consistency is the name of the game for you, would you rather spend 
this early of a pick on TJ Hawkinson, or would you rather bank on consistently getting seven, eight points with three late round tight ends that again, you Dr. Frankenstein together. So I know this is early in the video, but it's already coming up. I think that that's the point of, of really how we discuss tight ends right now in best ball. And the other thing is it's such a fragile position. Like right now, if Travis Kelsey like misses some time this year, obviously he has never done that, that before, but like just by default, everyone else that the late round tight end strategy just like gets uh, a boost and you're not going to have the entire running back, the entire wide receiver, the entire elite quarterback tier go down. But if Travis Kelsey misses times, Mark Andrews has a mess season. Then like all of a sudden, like the tight end 10 sounds great. George Kittle is next. Also kind of a a tale of two halves for George Kittle, maybe even less than that. Um, He averaged 10.7 fantasy points over his first 10 games of the season with Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, He scored just four touchdowns in that time. Over his final five games, all with Brock Purdy, he averaged 18.7 points, scored seven touchdowns, again, in just five games. So reading the tea leaves, listening to these Kyle Shanahan pressers, Brock Purdy is a dude once he is healthy. So how much can we extrapolate from that five-point game? Because if it's true, he's outscoring Travis Kelsey in that small sample, Hayden. Last year, he had uh, five touchdowns over expected. That's based on his own usage. That's the biggest uh, negative regression candidate going into this year. I will say, though, some of that could be offset. George Kittle is so efficient in general. The 49ers have just not passed the ball that much over the years. And they have Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, and Debo Samuel. So that's what's actually been holding him back a little bit is just target competition plus how often Shanahan wants to run the ball. It doesn't seem like he's really declined all that much. He definitely blocks a little bit more than I'd like, but I do think that George Kittle has a cleaner path to upside versus somebody like TJ Hawkinson. It might require Brock Purdy uh, being good enough where they want to throw the ball more than the 49ers have historically, or Debo or Ayuk or Christian McCaffrey kind of get out of the way. But to me, he at least has a a chance to beat like TJ Hawkinson pretty fairly. I like his upside odds. So I have Kittle one spot ahead of Hawkinson personally. And to me, it wasn't just the Brock Purdy insertion into this offense. It was also Christian McCaffrey coming into the fold. You heard me talk about it all the time during stats versus film. And when breaking down Christian McCaffrey stuff, they would kind of run levels off of each other. And so, you know early swing passes or routes down the field for Christian McCaffrey, then more attention after he picked up first downs and yards after catch, more attention would be paid to him. And then now down the seam or at the second level, you have George Kittle running more wide open than we've ever seen him before. And we know after the catch, like also with tight ends, sure, red zone opportunities are important, but if you have yards after catch capabilities to generate big plays off of that, not many dudes across the league do. And George Kittle certainly still does, despite all the injuries he has faced during his time. Yeah, Shanahan puts opposing linebackers in absolute hell. Yeah, microscope uh, them. It's it's tough scenes out there. Um, it is fascinating though with George Kittle last year because that was the first season he has ever scored more than six touchdowns in a single year. Uh, he probably wasn't really on that pace to go much more than that with the quarterbacks they were expecting to be on the field in Trey Lance and then Jimmy Garoppolo. Then the end scores eleven. When again the previous year it was just six. All right. Let's have the Kyle Pitts conversation. Uh, where are you at with Kyle Pitts right now? Because Hayden on underdog fantasy, the home of best ball, 63.6 is his ADP at the moment as tied in five. He wasn't anywhere near that last year. That's for sure. So how do we get him back to where this ADP would make some sense? Let's start with catchable targets. Last year, only 56% of his targets were catchable uh, because Marcus Mariota wasn't very good. I wish I can say Desmond Ritter's good, but I have some accuracy concerns <laughs> with him as well. Can we please get uh, Ryan Tanhill in a trade? Uh, if that doesn't happen, uh, the one thing that he needs to do is he definitely needs to run a little hotter with touchdowns. But the big thing is these deep targets. He had 19 of them last year, which is in the elite category. You don't really see tight ends get targets 15 yards downfield. It usually requires you actually playing out wide. Uh, and that's where Kyle Pitts can do it. The problem is he only caught three of those 19 deep balls. So if we can get those going a little bit, that would be nice. They also subbed him out in one tight end sets very weirdly last year. Maybe it's because they don't trust him as a, a blocker yet. Maybe that's something that we get in year three. As you kind of learn, you always talk about it takes some years for development, even for somebody like Kyle Pitts. But even if we get all those things, I think that's where you would get to a fair price here. So really, this is just, I think, an okay price for him 
but can you really dream big with Kyle Pitts where he like absolutely earth shatters people? And to me, Kyle Pitts, you obviously put like Travis Kelsey there. You'd put Mark, Mark Andrews there. I would put George Kittle there. I think you can already make a point where Kyle Pitts is at right there, like at the tight end four when it comes to just receiving skills. Now the offense is going to hold him back certainly. And Bijan's going to take some opportunities away. But if you're just organized, it's like, okay, week 17 rolls around and like somebody's just balling. Like Kyle Pitts at least has that in his range of outcomes. That's a great point. And it's exactly the one I was going to make where from an individual skill set standpoint, where he can just be a difference maker and a mismatch, Kyle Pitts, you can envision him among the elites that we've seen over the last two decades at the position. But from an environment and scenario standpoint, unless Desmond Ritter takes three gigantic leaps forward, that is not matching you know, Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. That is not matching Tom Brady with Gronk at quarterback. That's not matching Lamar Jackson and uh, Mark Andrews. You know, it. it's just not. And, mm-hmm. and that's the issue with all of it. But I will say that the price tag is so much more palatable, I feel like, this year. Because here are the names being drafted around that 64th overall pick. Damian Pierce, okay? Brandon Ayuk, Joe Mixon, Mike Evans, Dalvin Cook, we don't even know what team he's going to be on, you know? Tyler Lockett, DeAndre Swift after that. Like, this area of the draft, it is kind of in that purgatory or no man's land for tight end. But... It was shocking to me, and Nate Tice pointed this out. Cal Pitts is fifth of any wide receiver or tight end in target share over the last two se- seasons. The Falcons just, you know, haven't been throwing the football. Like we said, they led the NFL last year in carries per game. Arthur Smith has come out this offseason, despite drafting B. John Robinson and saying that they want to be more balanced. We gathered and surmised that that might only be like, you know, six more passes, six fewer runs in that's a game. That's a lot, though. But that that's a lot. That's a pretty significant change. And uh, I mean, Cal Pitts, we, we kind of talked about it when going through all of these rookie tight ends and some of them are intriguing, but Cal Pitts is just different. You know, he, yeah. he's a different dude. And I'll tell you this. I don't want to be the one left wishing. I don't know, in October, and November, man, I wish I drafted more Cal Pitts this season because we can all see how it all aligns for him. Yeah, I think that this price is fair, assuming some positive regression, which he's due for, and the Falcons passing the ball more, which I think is a fair expectation. If he goes to absolute God mode, now all of a sudden there's room for some profit. So boom, bust. But like at least this tight end has a chance to boom. Yeah. He had 14 deep targets last year. Uh, how many do you think he caught? My number over 15 yards is three of 19. So yeah. I, I don't know. One catch of yeah. 20 plus yards last season. Unfortunately, like. They were designing deep targets for him in these mismatch situations, and Marcus Mario just simply could not hit them, you know? But to your point, is Desmond Ritter leaps and bounds better than that? It can be better, and we can see increases, you know? But, like, an increase of last year, or if you extrapolate last season, like you said, for points per game into a full season, he still would have just been the tight end 17 behind Tyler Conklin and Jawan Johnson. Give me odds, Tanhill find some way onto this roster <laughs> actually like is it like 10 20 odds like can i at least dream at all like well, it makes so much sense for both teams why why hasn't this been done i think that depends on maybe will levis's preseason and how he fares right caleb, caleb williams season how about that just let <laughs> will levis ride no matter what <laughs> um is that a teardrop am i even fair to put cow pits in the a tier um yeah, this I don't the know. Hardest Mark, question I've asked you all day. <laughs> well, to me, it's like Mark Andrews is like between both of them. Uh, but yeah, this is fine. All right. Well, then we'll do this. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're talking. Okay. Now we go to the next group, and this is headlined by Dallas Goddard. We just talked about how so many of these different situations are changing or in flux because of new quarterbacks and new additions around them. Uh, Dallas Goddard is the consistent dude of this group. Nothing is different about this Philadelphia Eagles team that went very far and was very successful throwing the football last season. He runs a route on 91% of the passing snaps, which is very good. Uh, His issue is the balls just go to AJ Brown and Javonta Smith, which I can't blame the Eagles. So if something happens to either one of them, or if the Eagles have to pass way more because they're not like running teams out of the building through three quarters, then Dallas Goddard has a chance to eat a little bit more. I will say that this price tag is like fair enough where even if he kind of has one of these like seasons that are like underwhelming given his skill set, but like just the, the product of how good this team is, 
I think it's fine. I will say the one thing that I wish that they wouldn't do is a lot of his targets just come off like little play action where they kind of just like dump them off into the flat. Yep. Yeah, just easy stuff for Dallas Goddard. He doesn't get these like Kyle Pitts type of targets, but I do think that they could eventually get there, but it just really comes down to like, why throw the ball to Dallas Goddard if you have A.G. Brown, Devonta Smith winning downfield? And that's just basically where we're at with him. So this is like a small win, small loss situation. I like stacking him up with Jalen Hurts. And it's a little bit harder to stack Jalen Hurts because A.J. Brown goes round one. Devonta Smith goes like round two a lot. And Jalen Hurts is somewhere between them. So I want to draw some Jalen Hurts teams. So sometimes I'll go Jalen Hurts and then they have to be forced into Dallas Goddard. I think that's totally fine. Just three targets of 20 plus yards last season, 3.5% of all of his targets were 20 plus yards. So, like you said, he can be successful on those slip screens, on the RPOs, on everything underneath, which, you know, then makes him the sixth highest in terms of yak per reception in the NFL last season. And he's really good in that area. Like, I think Dallas mm-hmm. Goddard is a super fluid athlete, but he's a behind the line of scrimmage, short, and sometimes intermediate guy. And the big plays might be difficult in that regard, um, but touchdowns and those opportunities are probably better on the Eagles than they are with other teams. Now, we also saw them run for a ton of touchdowns last year that might switch a little bit with Miles Sanders. Who knows? Not on the roster. Um, but with Dallas Goddard, yeah, I mean, where he's being drafted again uh, as tight end six, 67 overall, it really is dependent for me, if I draft Jalen Hurts or not. And if I don't, then I'm not drafting probably any Dallas Goddard. I think that's a good kind of thing to think about uh, with all these players. If the tight end goes or the quarterback goes before the tight end, the, the stacks will like kind of pull them up in ADP. So I don't want to be drafting Dallas Goddard without Jalen Hurts. I will say, in all honesty, hand to the sky, I am drafting a ton of Darren Waller right now. He is going as the 78th overall player as the tight end seven and just looking at other players in that regard, Hayden, and he's next up in our rankings here. It's like Deontay Johnson, Rashad white, Gabe Davis, Marquise Brown, Cam Akers. Like I repeatedly have a zero at the tight end spot at that position. And for me, when I kind of think about how Travis Kelsey is so successful on the chiefs as like their primary pass catcher and how, Sure, to a lesser degree and a lesser offense, the Giants have like continued to add these like C listers among pass catchers. Darren Waller might be their big shot to be the big time. And I think Darren Waller has shown in previous years, multiple years, that he has like big qualities to his game as well. Yeah, it's very easy to make an upside case with him. Leading receiver, you can draft uh, Daniel Jones right after him. All of a sudden, you got a nice stack. But even just without the stack, Darren Waller definitely could just have a massive target share. One problem, though. Uh He didn't force a single missed tackle last year. It was his lowest PFF grade in a very long time. I know he was used like down the field a little bit more, but... He, I'm worried that he's a little bit older. He's 31 years old. He's had some injuries over the years and he's been pretty inconsistent throughout his career. I'm a little bit nervous that maybe this is just like we've passed the age cliff and it's just gone. But I will, I still agree with you that the path to an upside still exists. I also just think that we're there's a chance with Darren Waller where it's just like it's over. Interesting. My rebuttal to that would be 35% of his targets last season were 20 plus yards. That's mm-hmm. 10 more than any other tight end across the league. The next closest was Greg Dolchich. Um, and this is actually like out of character. And we kind of talked about it with remember Devonte Adams as well, because for some reason, Josh McDaniels just wanted to make these guys all vertical players. When you go back to his peak season, Darren Waller of 2020, just 10.7% of his targets were 20 plus yards. So while I also think Brian Dayball does want to be a bit more vertical, maybe the answer is somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. But again, I think there's an argument that other than Darius Slayton, like maybe Darren Waller and now Jalen Hyatt are like the best vertical players on the team. I guess my point is, if we get healthy Darren Waller, he's the best pass catcher on this team, point blank period. Correct. And I don't know if we can totally hold what the Giants offense was. And I know you're not of like where they threw the football, how often they threw the football over the heads of Mike Kafka and Brian Dayball. Cause I think when they look big picture of what they want an NFL team to be, it's much more than that. Yeah. And no, I completely agree with you. They have some underneath targets. Daniel Jones can run the ball. Saquon can run the ball. They need some seam stretchers. And that's what Darren Waller does. And while I have some concerns that he could just be past uh, his prime, the giants traded the hundredth overall pick for him comparison, like TJ Hawkinson, that was like a second overall pick, or second round pick. So they're not viewing prime TJ Hawkinson with this version of Darren Waller all that differently. Um, so yeah, 
I think I think we're fine right here. He is my bet to be the tight end that like transcends the spot that he is drafted right now up a few tiers. Um, I don't know if you have one that we'll get to later on or any of these dudes, but for me, where he is being drafted, which is very palatable, even if I don't and I'm not planning on drafting Daniel Jones, I will still have Darren Waller as like my mid round shot at the tight end position. Yeah, of these, I would argue that Mark Andrews has a chance to like be the dude. So that of of this group who kind of see going up a tier, I would pick Mark Andrews again. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have. And you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series. And when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash underdog. Or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right. Three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. One of our favorite picks of last year was David Njoku. Um, David Njoku is a total stud of a player. David Njoku was in his first year last year as a full-time player. And this is why we read the press conference quotes and listen to Kevin Zafanski because he told us both with the money and the role that David Njoku was going to be a full-time player. And what we got, Hayden, was he was responsible for 28.6% of the Browns' red zone targets last year. That was the highest rate among all tight ends. The Browns, though, just didn't throw that often inside the red zone. So we think maybe with Deshaun Watson, that you know scale might tip in the favor of David Njoku even more this year, just in pure volume. He's got the like basically uh, prototype body size plus athleticism that I'm looking for for fantasy, where he's big enough to block, and they trust him in one tight end set to sit there and block. But then in two tight end sets, he's out there running around 93% of the dropbacks. I think that our overall stance with the Browns that they're just going to pass the ball more this year than they have historically. I think that Kevin's fancy sharp. I think the, the uh, front office is pretty sharp. The offensive line's good. And I think there's a chance that the redacted quarterback bounces back this year. So David Njoku, I think is very good at football. And I think there's a chance that he just gets a little bit more volume than we're used to. So given the price tag, I actually like scooping up some David Njoku here. And I have been uh, definitely stacking up the Browns to some degree. So I agree with you that he should be in this tier, not one below it, even though the, price tags we're talking about two three rounds apart now it's too easy to stack the browns this year what could go wrong uh <laughs> what could go wrong he's being drafted after pick 100 you know 104 overall and he has that hybrid skill set where they can run screens to him and he can win after the catch and then he can also get vertical and isolation and win there too and as again i pointed out I mean, he was 11th overall in just raw targets inside of the red zone last year so we remember when we saw him we saw him at the Super Bowl. Dude, like, you'll be proud to have uh, David Njoku on your team. I can guarantee that. All right, next one up is Pat Fryermuth. Pat Fryermuth, um, I think it's easy to say, had a better rookie season than he did his second season. As a rookie, Hayden, he had 20 red zone targets. That was second most among all tight ends. Uh, but now, I think still all the pass catchers are flawed around him, and the OC is definitely flawed, and they're trying to patch offensive line stuff. So, like, what should we attach ourselves to positively about Pat Fryermuth in 2023? Well, he's the perfect uh, canon when you're talking about the volatility of touchdown scoring. As a rookie, he ran relatively hot with the touchdowns. And then last year, he scored 2.3 fewer touchdowns than you expect given his usage. I think there's a chance that the Steelers offense just in general gets better because they have so many young pieces they've added to the offensive line. I think that just watching Pat Fryermuth, that he kind of is a A or B level tight end just watching him naturally he can block a little bit but i think that he's very fluid after the catch he plays in line a little bit too much like 58 percent of the snaps are in line and he only runs around like on 65 percent of the steelers one tight end dropbacks i wish those go up 
But I do think there's a chance that maybe that does. They have some more meat uh, talking about just Darnell Washington to kind of block if they need to go in these two tight end sets. And I think that Pat Frymuth, this just like, a, to me, this is like him and Njoku are like a bet on talent. Like I've seen these guys move out in space and I think both of those offenses can get better. So this is the tier that I've been kind of dipping my toes in. Go Pat Frymuth with two like round 17, 18 dart throws and then call it to the position. But I, I'm with you. I like Frymuth and Njoku. I could see Pat Frymuth any season scoring seven touchdowns, you know, and seven touchdowns last year at the position was like good for fourth or fifth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I am intrigued by the Darnell Washington move to maybe improve the offensive line, but obviously he lasts on the board much longer than the draft media thought he would. But then also like bringing Al Robinson for absolutely nothing and not having to pay him anything. And I don't know if that even should factor into our thought process here. Um, I don't think it does. Yeah. And then, like I said, and I want to reiterate, they're really flawed wide receivers around him, too. So it wouldn't be shocking if Fryermuth is maybe like Mr. Consistency among that pass catching group. Okay. Next up is Evan Ingram, another one of our favorite late round tight ends from last season. Another tale of two halves of the year for him, too. Um, in the opening eight games, his A dot was 8.6 yards. In the final 11 games, it was half that at 4.3 yards. Doug Peterson really dialed in of how he used Evan Ingram. And a lot of it was to line up where he's at his best, which was sixth in yards after the catch and average last year. I don't think he signed his franchise tag yet. That's just something to kind of keep track of. I think he'll probably be signed and be, and be a part of the long-term options, but he ran around on, uh, he ran 32 routes per game, which was one of the best across the league. I am a little bit nervous that comes down just a tad uh, because of target competition, I think Calvin Ridley being there like really matters for him. And I think that they might trust some of the running backs a little bit more as well. Like you said, they were really scheming him open yes. late this season. That's like shout out just Doug Peterson, one of the best coaches, especially coaching up these tight ends. They bought the dip on Evan Ingram, but how you get the most out of him is just throwing him out in the flats, getting him on leaks and just letting his athleticism shine. He's way more athletic in a straight line out in space than other tight ends. That's how they used him late last year. The one problem though is those require a little bit more schemed up looks. All of a sudden, when you have like real weapons, you stop scheming up passes and you say like, okay, just throw the ball to Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk and you're fine. So I'm worried that his overall targets are going to come down. Um, so I'm a little bit lower on him versus some of the other guys we just mentioned. Unless you're driving, close your eyes. Just like think back to those great Jaguars highlights towards the end of last season. And it was a lot of like heavy play action and Evan Ingram crossing a, across the formation and then him catching the ball like one or two or three yards beyond the line of scrimmage and then get the ball in his hands and let him rumble and just be a better athlete than the other people on the field. It wasn't this Jason Garrett stuff. I'm going to run a seven yard hitch and maybe I catch it. Maybe I don't like just let him be an athlete. And yeah, I think that style is pretty volume dependent. And what you outlined about maybe some of the volume being taken away from him, I, I think it is worth a talking point, even if Evan Ingram, there's a huge difference in taking Evan Ingram as like the tight end 22, like we got last year and now taking him as like the tight end nine. Yeah. We both have him lower than ADP. So yeah, yeah. he's going as a tight end eight right now. 91st overall on underdog ahead of David Njoku and Pat Fryermuth. Okay. Next up for us, it is Dalton Schultz because of your massive ranking. I'm going to put this one on your shoulders, Hayden. Okay. Uh, you have him as the tight end nine overall. Why? Well, looking back, uh, if you just look <laughs> at yards per game, that's the that's where the foundation is. I know he's changing the offense, but he he does get out in the route a lot, and he's trusted in blocking situations. The Texans didn't pay him that much mo- that much money, but he has like no competition behind him. And more importantly, I think that the Texans have zero pass catching weapons in general. But the offensive line is good. I think that CJ Stroud is good. So one way to kind of pay off on me uh, wanting to get some exposure to CJ Stroud is through Dalton Schultz. And Dalton Schultz last year was a top six tight end. He was basically the year before that as well. So I think this is a decent spot for me because his ADP is like 130. Like compare that to Waller and Joke and those other guys. We're talking like four or five round discounts. So even though that we put him in the same tier here, I think that the difference in ADP is pretty drastic. When you start comparing like the w- wide receivers being next to Dalton Schultz, you are in the full panic territory. We're talking about like uh, late uh, round two rookies. We're talking about like Adam Thielen types. I like the one V one with Schultz versus those wide receivers. And I'm less, uh, 
uh, optimistic about like TJ Hawkinson uh, beating out the wide receivers next to him. So I've been drafting some Schultz to set up a CJ Stroud stack later on. All of the Texans pass catchers go after Schultz does. The four wide receivers being drafted ahead of Dalton Schultz right now, Darnell Mooney, Sky Moore, Zay Jones, and Jonathan Mingo. Well, you know which one of those I'm taking. Uh, but I, I totally get what you're saying because they actually have a tight end on their roster that I've never even heard of. Uh, and that's tough to do right now in the NFL. And Tegan Quitoriano. Mm-hmm. You he's know who a, he is? He's in my spreadsheets. That's all I know. <laughs> okay. He was a fifth round pick in 2022. Uh, Eric Tomlinson is also listed there. Andrew Beck. It's nobody. It, it is nobody. Now, I will say this. I think it's a huge jump to go from the Dallas Cowboys, Kellen Moore, Dak Prescott, because we went back last year and watched all these tight ends. And I would say among the ones that were great producers of the position, Dalton Schultz is the least talented of the bunch on like a pure individual basis. Um, But then at the same time, I think you can counteract that by saying there are 357 targets on the table for the Texans this offseason that are available. A hundred more than the next team wow. in the NFL. A hundred more. So I don't want to like lock in on one thing. I mean, like, hey, Dalton Schultz, he's just an okay football okay. player on like probably a bad team, mm-hmm. and then just forego and forget opportunity. Cause I think, again, the answer is somewhere in the middle here. And like one thing that he's going to do is he's going to get on the route a little bit more in like two tight end sets. Like last year, he was staying in to block uh, because he's a good blocker. They have no choice. He has to go out there and catch the passes. That Texans defense is absolute trash still, even with Will Anderson there. So if CJ Stroud can play at all, one of these guys, Nico Collins or Dalton Schultz, is going to really pop off. So give me the guy that's done it before. And their OC uh, has a little bit of experience with a pretty good tight end and utilizing him. Okay. For us next, it is Dalton Kincaid. The rookie first round pick out of Utah for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, yeah, we'll make him the first in the next year. Um, we always talk about it with rookie tight ends, how the jump in the game to the NFL is very difficult. And this is why they are slow to produce. What if Dalton Kincaid only has to really worry about one facet of the tight end position? I'm 100% walking down narrative street here, but based on what Brandon Bean has said is he is purely going to be a pass catching tight end. And line up in the slot a lot, forcing defenses to still play nickel. And Ken Dorsey has at least some of a background with working with a ton of 12 personnel sets. They might call it 11 and a half with his time with the Carolina Panthers with Jeremy Shockey and Greg Olson. Your thoughts here. Am I taking that step too far? I don't think so. I think they are basically viewing him close to a slot wide receiver. And I think I'm willing to make the... Uh, exception to the rule of like how we hear that all the time. He's going to actually play the slot. I do think that's probably what their plan is. Now it's such a dramatic 180. Last year the Bills only had 35 dropbacks in two tight end sets. Right. Last year, so I am a little bit worried. Dawson Knox can block pretty well. Dalton Kincaid, I thought was not very good blocking. He's very undersized as well, and especially if he's going to be a slot wide receiver, he might even like lose some weight versus where he was in the combine. Now, if he is a slot wide receiver, we can really cook in this offense. Like if this was Dalton Kincaid being a slot wide receiver on the Texans, for example, I would be very nervous. But you can start making the math work pretty cleanly if he's a version of Cole Beasley. Um, so I think I'm just going to make him the exception here. So I I'd, I wouldn't want to get too carried away, but I think that this price tag is actually fine. Right. Um, even though Dawson Knox is paid very well. I just think that this is Dawson Knox rug pull. And if this wasn't with the, the bills, I would be out. But since it is with the bills, I think I'm okay with it. Brandon Bean has said that in previous years, they've wanted to invest in a second tight end. It just hasn't worked out. Like they actually paid Tyler Croft a pretty good bag a couple of years ago. And he instantly got injured. Mm-hmm. They tried to bring in OJ Howard, another for, former first round pick at the start of last year and then cut him before the season even started. This was the biggest investment you could possibly make. But it's not like we're talking, you know, Cal Pitts rookie year draft capital. You have to invest in Dalton Kincaid, right? He's tied in 11 right now in underdog, 116 overall. Like, again, I'm not saying he's going to hit a thousand yards like Cal Pitts did his rookie season. But as I think the conclusion you and I both come to and maybe everyone will come to, it is very palatable to, to add Dalton Kincaid to your team at this current price tag. Um, and even if he bottoms out, you can still hopefully draft one or two tight ends later on that still kind of Dr. Frankenstein this thing together and come up with a top 12 scoring tight end each week. 
I think there are reasons why rookie tight ends struggle. Like you said, they're l- learning a little bit off offensive tackle and some of the, the, the zones uh, systems that they're running. Then you also have to get out and know the slot snaps and all that stuff. But I will say, and Liam Murphy made a good point. Uh, who won best ball mania too. He said, go look back at the, the tight ends, uh, the rookie tight ends and who their quarterbacks were over the last couple of years. Like, all of the first round tight ends, early second round tight ends have been attached to some of literally the league's worst quarterbacks just by random chance. What if some of this data that we've been looking at is just kind of leading us the wrong way? Like, for example, a similar thing was uh, wide receivers changing teams in offseason like the superstars. Well, once the league started actually trading for the elite wide receivers, all of that data got completely pushed out of the way. So I'm almost wondering if we just haven't seen an elite quarterback attached with a rookie tight end. What happens then? And I would add that Dalton Kincaid's spatial awareness and like feel for zone is so much better than so many other rookie tight ends that enter the league. And so we know in man coverage too, he can make some outside his frame catches on top of that. So the receiving skills are, are automatically there. Okay. We've already hit 12 names here. How about we talk in trios for the rest of the time since we're already 43 minutes in. Uh, The next three in our rankings are Jawan Johnson, Tyler Higby, and Gerald Everett. Talk about one of those. So Tyler Higby is due for some positive regression. Stop me if you've heard this before. Uh, (laughs) It seems like he always is. The the difference this year, though, is that the Rams offense is going to be better. Their offensive line looks way better. They dealt with a lot of injuries last year. Um, Matthew Stafford seems like he's healthy right now. The wide receivers behind Cooper cup are as bad as they've ever been with Sean McVay and the defense is atrocious right now. They're going to be starting like 10 guys aside from Aaron Donald that we've like legitimately never even heard of. So there's a chance where the Rams just have to buy. No, they have no choice, but just play some Madden and it's just like pass, 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 pass. And where Tyler Higby can kind of get there. So his price tag's so deflated and I've been drafting some Matthew Stafford, because I like Van Jefferson late. I like Taylor Higby late. And it's like an easy team to stack uh, like in rounds like 13 through 18. He's being drafted as tight end 16. 92.3% of his targets last year were less than 10 yards down the field. That is a preposterous number. I mean, in 2021 with full-time Matthew Stafford, it was at 77.4%. Um, 92.3, again, less than 10 yards on the field just ruins the ceiling that you have as a player if you're also not getting like mm-hmm. red zone and inside the 10-yard line targets. I did want to quickly bring up Jawan Johnson because yep. he's a favorite for many out there, and it's because of the touchdowns he scored last year. Seven, again, that tied for fourth among all tight ends. Uh, but he had just 11 red zone targets and caught five touchdowns off of those. So I will use the regression word for you. Now, at the same time, he could also maybe – and as more of a full-time or less part-time player than he was last year, uh, hit 15 or 17 red zone targets. But I'm assuming, again, the efficiency in scoring off of those is going to drop this year. Yeah, 3.4 more touchdowns than expected. Uh, I was going to be really optimistic with them, and then they, like you uh, forecasted, they brought back uh, Foster Moreau. Thankfully, he's healthy, and they expect him to actually play. That will hurt him because... Uh, Juwan Johnson's well-paid, but so is Foster Moreau. So it's going to be a little bit harder for him. My last note, real quick, I forgot to do this. This is the most important note I had on Tyler Higbee. In 2021, he was pass blocking only 9% of his snaps. Last year, that doubled all the way to 18%, which is way, way, way too much for fantasy tight ends. The reason why is Noteboom, their left tackle, he was injured. They were rotating their right tackles around. If they can get their offensive tackles in, in line, then I don't think that Tyler Higby has to stay in the block. So that's like another way for him to add on even more routes. I You can make like a bold prediction, like Tyler Higby finishes top five in routes this year. And if that yep. happens, then like just let, let's flip some coins at, on touchdowns and see where we're at. And final point on Gerald Everett, you know, the Chargers were linked to every single tight end under the sun in the draft this year, and they didn't take a single one. So mm-hmm. once again, we roll it back and run it back with Gerald Everett and Donald Parham at tight end. And now you bring in Kellen Moore, who just made Dalton Schultz look like a top five score at the position. Yeah. You know, this what is can what Jared ever do for you. <laughs> this is, this is another good year for a late round tight end. Just like looking at some of these names. Yeah. And Gerald Everett's going all the way down. We have a much higher than this as tight end 19 right now. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that is the carryover from a lot of people expecting the charters to bring in someone during the draft and they did not. Okay. The next trio pick one, Michael Mayer, Hayden Hurst, and Cole Komet. I'll take the anti Cole Komet uh, train here for a couple obvious reasons. Number one, he is not going to catch as many touchdowns as he did last year. He scored um, 
3.7 more touchdowns than expected. That was the second highest, only trailing George Kittle. He's not going to do that again. There's also a chance that his routes just go way down because they brought in Robert Tunyon, who's actually like a receiving type of tight end. So there could be some routes and formations where he's not going to be out there running routes. Plus, they have this guy named DJ Moore now and Chase Claypool. So like, there's no reason to throw the ball to Cole Komet. I've watched a bunch of Cole Komet. I mean, you can put like count like three or four plays where you're like, wow, he's really sticking out. The rest of the time, it's like pretty mid. So he's going very high. And I think the reason is because DJ Moore and Justin Fields go right next to each other. So if you drafted Justin Fields and you missed out on DJ Moore, like who else are you going to be picking? You're winding all the way down the board. And then here comes Cole Komet. So I don't want to be doing that. Uh, that sounds scary. I'm going to be fading Cole Komet. But he will be out there going to what we said at the start of this. Like he'll be out there on a ton of snaps. But I'm, I'm worried that they're going to use different formations because they have better wide receiver personnel and that Robert Tunyon matters a little bit. And I, I've, I've seen too much of Cole Komet. I can't. Um, Hayden Hurst is being drafted as a tight end 25. And again, we have him as the tight end 16 right now. Um, I like that. I'll also say I think that Hayden Hurst's ceiling is not really something that we should really chase. Yeah. He's kind of just a guy, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And maybe what we saw with the Cincinnati Bengals last year with a better quarterback and an offensive environment that the Panthers wish they had, even if like he was battling Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, that still means you're in better touchdown scoring drives and opportunities, right? Which is important for tight ends. And yes, now it's instead of that, it's like Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble and Jonathan mm-hmm. Mingo and Adam Thielen and DJ Chark. That doesn't mean for me like, oh, he'll just jump up a tier in terms of his production this year. I think he's just like, again, one of these guys that we rank higher um, and we will probably exit a bunch of drafts with, but just one of these later round tight end types. Perfect stacking partner, late in drafts, cheap stack. Uh, They paid him very well too, more money than you probably would think, which is definitely helping him out. I will say the Bengals offense is how they're set up. They want their tight end to stay on the field all the time. And that's why he was out there for a bunch of snaps. Frank Reich's history at tight end has been rotation, of rotation. city. Yes. I mean, all of them. So it's Kylan Granson and Trey Burton years. Oh yeah. You're getting, yeah. you're getting Mo Alley Cox in there. You're getting Jelani Woods from last year. So may, who knows what's exactly their plan is. Hayden Hurst can block a little bit. And that's my, what my concern is that they're just like trying to surround Bryce Young with like at least a, a functional offensive line. A little concerned about your Michael Mayer ranking, just based on what Dave Ziegler said, where like it's the um, Austin Hoopers and OJ Howard's and, all that stuff. But I think that's to overcome like two veterans at the position in order to get on the field. Okay. Next trio quickly, Sam Laporta, Jake Ferguson, who by the way, is a starting tight end for the Dallas Cowboys and uh, Luke Musgrave. So two rookies and a new guy. What a tier. I love all three of these guys. I mean, I can make a very easy case on any of them. Ferguson, he is going to run more routes last year. His competition is a second-round rookie, uh, Luke Schoonmacher, who is a blocker type only. Uh, Ferguson could could definitely run some routes. And I think that he's pretty good. If you watch him like out in space, I think that he can move pretty well. Luke Musgrave is like actually my guy, though, just because Ooh. his competition is another rookie who just got drafted after him. And it sounded like that they're just using Musgrave in, in craft as like, we need one of these two guys to be good. Luke Musgrave checks every single box that you'd want when it comes to size thresholds and athleticism thresholds. And he was supposed to be an absolute stud last year at Oregon state. He got injured, which obviously matters, but he was going to go off last year. And I think there's a chance that he was going to be like a top 15, top 20 overall pick in the draft. And he just got injured last year yet. He's not being priced in like that. And the Packers most importantly have nobody to catch the ball besides Christian Watson and kind of like the ghost of Aaron Jones right now. So if Luke Musgrave can play all the opportunities there for you, these are our tight end 18, 19 and 20, and they're being drafted so much later than that on underdog right now. I mean, Luke Musgrave is being drafted as the tight end 33. Um, Sam Laporta, the tight end 21. Like these are our ideal late round tight end shots. And I mean, Laporta's right there with that in terms of competition yep. at the position. There is nothing. Yep. Nothing. And he was the second overall tight end drafted this past year. Um, it's an intriguing group to me for sure. Only only con I have with Laporta is he's on the threshold of being too small to be an every down tight end, especially with like Dan Campbell there. So that's my one pullback with Sam Laporta, but in that offense, he can catch some touchdowns. He's very fluid in space. They're already talking about uh, talking up in, in rookie camp, which matters 0%, but uh, they are dare what a tier, what a tier right now. I mean, I know I'm, is, I'm, I have so much Sam Laporta and Luke Musgrave right now. So much. It, this is setting up 
right now for for late round tight end. All right. If we are much higher on that grouping and the grouping before that, that means we have to be much lower. And it's these next two names, Hayden. It's Chig Okwankwo, who is being drafted as a tight end 14, and he's our tight end 22. And then Dawson Knox is still being drafted as a tight end 16, and he's our tight end 23. Why? Well, Dawson Knox is easy. They drafted Dalton Kincaid in round one. Uh, and Dawson Knox, it kind of showed us last year that he's almost too good at blocking. Like if he was just a pass catching tight end, I think he'd be very productive in that. But mm-hmm. at times he's a sixth offensive lineman. And especially against the Rams, we saw that where like you bring, you keep an extra protection, allow these downfield routes to open up. And uh, I think now he's almost going to be even more pigeonholed to be more of a inline blocker. And he'll continue to drop. It's easier to raise in prices, uh, but it's harder to fall in prices because the auto draft feature, like even if you yes. miss your picture, you're going to be draft, drafting Dawson Knox. So it takes a long time for the, the ADPs to fall downwards. Chig is the interesting conversation here. And for like sure. this is like hating to like burst bubbles here, but I'm going to take a stand here. First of all, if he does get into this role that I, I don't think that he will, we're talking about like the Titans. I'm not stacking the Titans. Like what is he going to finish the Titan eight? Who cares? I don't really care. I think there's a chance that he completely busts. Remember Anthony Ferkser? We were drafting Anthony Ferkser as a tight end 15 a couple years ago. Same exact offense. Same thing with Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith ran hot on some touchdowns. That's basically what Chig did last year. His yards after the catch skills are legit. He's a very functional athlete. But he averaged 14 yards per catch, and his eight out was only eight. Like, there's no way that continues again. Like, his yards after the catch, his deep catches last year were way above expectations. If you regress that at all, all these fancy uh, yards per route uh, run numbers that you're seeing are not going to extrapolate. And last year, he ran 10 routes, 10 routes per game. So is he going to be able to stay on the field? He only ran a route on 20% of the Titans, one tight end set dropbacks last year. The threshold I look for, remember, is at 68%. I think the primary reason for that is not because Austin Hooper was really good last year. I think it's just because Chig is too small. So he's got to beat uh, Trevon Wesco is 268 pounds. Josh Wiley is 6'7", 248 pounds. Those are his backup tight ends. He's like 238. Is he going to say, is Mike Vrabel going to keep him, get his hand in the dirt and have Chig out there? I'm not sure. Chig is the uh, shiny object of tight end drafting right now. And look, we fall into this with like a certain type at every position. You know, like people like this with like the Wondell Robinson of of wide receivers, right? Kenny or, or Kenny Gainwell or Andre Ellington at running back. You know, like we love these smaller, shiftier types that do break the mold, but it's so simple. The issue is he just didn't play that often last year. Like there was one game that he played over 50% of the snaps. Wow. One game. Okay. Wow. So I understand you can sort by yards per route run, and he dominated that. Last season, he was at 2.61. The next closest was Travis Kelsey at 2.27. Mark Andrews at 1.97. But if you're out there in certain packages that are called for you to get the ball because you're a part-time player, and then also you are incredibly efficient after the catch because you're a good athlete and that's where you win, but that does skew it. When when you just play more snaps, that is going to drop down. That figure is. Um, I really I have Chig on like all my dynasty teams because this is the type that goes under the radar and is drafted kind of later. Um, but now I highly doubt I'll draft any Chig mm-hmm. Okwankwo ahead of the 2023 season, and I'll just have all my investment on my dynasty teams ahead of last year. So much of his production was in two tight end sets where they'd run this little play action bootleg and then throw the ball off to him. Like that's that's not the same it's the same thing as being out there every single time running the seam routes. It's just a totally different thing. So if he can do it, I mean, if we're wrong and he puts on some weight and he's every down tight end, there's a path for him to be the, the tight end eight. But right. I like, is this offense going to support a, tight, a a true breakout? I'm not sure. Um, Yeah, it, it it's a difficult conversation because I really like him as a player, but I feel like a tight end isn't always a tight end, isn't always a tight end. And like mm-hmm. over the conversations we've had today, especially at this one, uh, help designate and and make those conversations a bit more clear. I think Greg Dulcich is a very similar case to Chiga Quanquo. Just looking at what the Broncos did, Greg Dulcich is similar in like kind of how he wins. He was not for everybody, definitely receiving type. And then the first thing Sean Payton does is he brings uh brings in Chris Mannerts, maybe the best run blocking tight end, and then trades for Adam Troutman. So like Sean Payton like probably didn't care about Greg Dulcich. So I'm a little bit nervous that he's in a similar boat where the routes just kind of disappear. All right. That's going to do it.
You all know you can draft on Underdog Fantasy right now. Uh, I don't know if any other channel is giving you 57 minutes on the tight end position in mid-May. Please subscribe. I wasn't wasn't planning on doing that today, but uh, you're welcome. (laughs) I guess. This is actually a sign. If you are still listening, please go outside today. Do some (laughs) push-ups. All right. I'll take that advice. Uh, Go and watch our other tier videos. Go and watch all these rookie profiles that we have as well. And... Starting this week on the channel, we're bringing one guest every single Wednesday to outline the five players they cannot stop drafting that they are targeting in every single draft. Our first one is with Jared Smola of Draft Sharks. We're going to be doing that for the remainder of the summer. So get excited and check it out on the channel. For Hayden, I'm Josh. Up the Vela. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya.